A sign that the heart of a believer is beating with Iman is that when he or she falls into a sin, feels a tremendous amount of fear which envelops them. Whether during times of privacy or in times of public appearances, these are lines, these are sins that will not pass without ramifications, without consequences. Thus, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, the companion, would say, as Imam al-Bukhari narrates in his Sahih, he says, the true believer is a person who sees his sins as if he is sat beneath a huge mountain and he is afraid that that mountain may come crashing down on him at any moment. And as for the rebellious sinner, he sees his sins as something very insignificant, like a fly that sits on his nose, and thus he casually swats it away with his hand. Thus the wakeful Muslim is very aware that those lines that were crossed in secrecy or in public will not go without consequences. Therefore he is afraid, he is scared. And with that said, we can ask a question. Are there any particular ways to push away these consequences? If you and I are sinners, and without a doubt we are. كُلُّ بَنِي آدَمَ خَطَّاءَ Every human being is a sinner, as the Messenger ﷺ said. And these are consequences that will sometimes show up in your life in the form of bankruptcy, in the form of loss of wealth, in the form of deteriorating health, in the form of anxiety that now envelops you, in depression that engulfs you, in a lack of ability to sleep, it could come in the form of loss of children. It could come in the form of cancer. This consequence of sin may take many forms, as Imam Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala and others have mentioned. And therefore we pose the question once again, if I am that individual, what can I do to push away these consequences before they arrive? What can I do to divert the punishment of Allah Almighty before it visits me and before I then start running around looking for relief, looking for cure, looking for forgiveness? Here we move on to the words of Shaykh Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahmatullahi alayhi who mentions 10 different ways in which we can do so in his Majmu'ul Fatawa. He says when a believer falls into a sin, then he can push away the consequence of that sin and its punishment before it arrives via ten different ways. He says the first way to push away the consequence of the sin is when such a person engages in tawbah, repentance, and thus Allah forgives him from that sin because a person who repents is like a person who has no sins. The second way he says, or he may ask Allah to forgive him, to engage in istighfar, and thus Allah pardons him. The third way he says, a person may put forward good deeds which erase that sin. Because good deeds by their nature, he says, they wipe away sins. The fourth way is when his brothers from the believers make dua to Allah Almighty for him, asking Allah to pardon his sins. That is the fourth way. 
As for the fifth way, he says, when some of the believers decide to gift him with the good deeds of some of their actions of worship, that may also benefit him as well, Ibn Taymiyyah says. The sixth way, he says, or when the Prophet ﷺ intercedes for this person on the day of judgment, and thus his sins are forgiven. What about the seventh way? He says, or Allah Almighty may trial him with difficulties in the life of this world, causing more sins to be forgiven. What about the eighth way? He says, or Allah may trial him in the grave via its difficulties, and thus Allah forgives more of his sins. What about the ninth? He says, or Allah may trial him in terms of the horrors of the day of judgment, and therefore more of his sins are forgiven. What about the tenth? Ibn Taymiyyah says, or Allah the most merciful may show mercy towards him. These words of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah have come at the right time. The first of these ten ways, he says, when a person engages in tawbah, repentance, if you notice the second one mentioned, or when a person engages in istighfar, asking Allah to forgive his sins, there seems to be an overlap between the two. What is the difference between tawbah, repentance, and istighfar, asking Allah to forgive your sins? They seem to be referring to the exact same thing. The scholars of Islam have identified several differences, one of which being the following. They say that tawbah, repentance, is far more encompassing than istighfar, merely asking Allah to forgive your sins. Istighfar deals with the sins of the past. Whilst tawbah, repentance, if Allah accepts it, deals with your past and your present and your future as well. For this reason, we know that an accepted tawbah has conditions. The first of these conditions, as you already know, is for a person to feel regret for what he did in the past. Notice how that deals with your past. The second condition is that you stop the sin immediately. Right now, you desist. Notice how this condition deals with your present. And the third condition is that you promise Allah to try and never return to that sin again. Notice how that deals with the future. And therefore one can say that istighfar, asking Allah to forgive your sins, is the necessary precursor which leads to tawbah. The same way that you cannot fill a vessel only after you empty it, you need to have engaged in istighfar in order to reach the status of tawbah. And that is why Allah Almighty, He says in chapter 11 of the Qur'an, وَأَنِ اسْتَغْفِرُوا رَبَّكُمْ ثُمَّ تُوبُوا إِلَيْهِ Engage in istighfar, Allah says, then turn to Him in repentance. Look at how the repentance comes after the istighfar. These two points which Imam Ibn Taymiyyah mentions are in reference to this individual whom after he has engaged in a sin, immediately finds himself turning to Allah, standing at the doorstep of Ar-Rahman, saying, Rabbi li, my Lord, pardon me, my Lord, pardon me. And thus, Abi Dawood writes in his Sunan, and the Tirmidhi in his Jami' on the authority of Abi Bakr in the Siddiq, that the Messenger said, he says, there isn't any person who engages in a sin, 
and then gets up and does wudu and prays two units of prayer and then sits down saying, my Lord, forgive me. Except that Allah will pardon him. What about the third way which Imam Ibn Taymiyyah identified to push away the consequence of the sin before it arrived? The third way he says, for a person to engage in good deeds, which by their nature erase the sins. And that is why Ibn Abi Hatim, he narrates in his tafsir that Al-Hasan al-Basri, he said, he says, deal with your sins of the past by putting forward new good deeds today. He says, you will not find anything more effective in erasing the sins of the past by introducing good deeds of the present. And then he says, I have read the Quran and I found an ayah that supports this. Allah says, indeed, good deeds, they erase sins. So if you are an individual who fears complications in life that come with sins, then realize, my dear brothers and sisters, that immediately after you have engaged in that sin, follow it up with a good deed. And the moment you do that, feel that Allah is actively shedding you from those sins. When you are reciting Quran, feel that you are unloading some of those sins. When you are walking to the masjid, when you are tying on that hijab as was prescribed by the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when you engage in charity, when you come to the circles of knowledge, when you wake up in the morning for fajr and you attend the jama'at, feel that Allah is removing from you these sins because the Prophet said alayhi salatu wasalam, follow up a sin with a good deed and it will wipe it away. The fourth way which Imam Ibn Taymiyyah rahmatullahi alayhi identifies in order to push away the punishment before it arrives. He says, when the believers make dua for this individual asking Allah to forgive his or her sins. And that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructs our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the Quran where he said, ask Allah Almighty to forgive your sins and the sins of the believing men and the believing women as well. Imam Al-Qurtubi says in his tafsir of this ayah, Allah is yes speaking to the Prophet ﷺ, but every other Muslim is intended. He said therefore based upon this understanding, every Muslim is obligated to ask Allah to forgive the sins of the Muslims. This is the behavior of the responsible Muslim. Not only does he worry about his crimes and his sins, but he is also worried about the sins of the others. And that is why the prophets, they would say in their dua, as Prophet Nuh would say, Oh Allah, forgive me and my parents and my guests who are believers and every believing man and believing woman. Allahu Akbar. And the Prophet of Allah, Ibrahim, he would say, alayhi salatu wasalam, رَبَّنَا اغْفِرْ لِي وَلِوَالِدَيَّ وَلِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ يَوْمَ يَقُومُ الْحِسَابَ Oh Allah, forgive me and my parents and all of the believers on the day that the reckoning is established. As for the fifth, Ibn Taymiyyah, he said, when some of the believers choose to gift you with some of the good deeds of their actions of worship, Ibn Taymiyyah rahmatullahi alayhi has said in another place in his Majmu'ul Fatawa, he says there is no difference of opinion between the scholars of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah that the financial acts of worship, like charity, the reward of which can be gifted to another Muslim, it will reach them. 
He says, however, the scholars have deferred with regards to the physical actions of worship, like prayer and reading Quran and Hajj. Will these actions of worship reach another person if their reward is gifted to him? Ibn Taymiyyah says, he says the correct opinion is that all of these things will reach an individual. And he says this is the opinion of Ahmad and Abu Hanifa and some of the Maliki and Shafi'i scholars as well. As for the sixth way in which a person's sins may be pushed away and the repercussions sidelined before they arrive. He said, when the Messenger Muhammad intercedes for a believer on the day of judgment, Allahu Akbar, I ask Allah to make us recipients of this shafa'ah, this intercession. He will be given a series of intercessions on the day of judgment, some of which are exclusive to him and others are shared between him and other people as well. And the Messenger وسلم, said, as Imam al-Bukhari narrates on the authority of Abi Hurairah, every prophet in the life of this world was given one dua, which Allah guaranteed he will answer for him. As for me, I have saved this dua in order to intercede for my ummah on the day of judgment. There will be intercessions which only the Prophet Muhammad will be given on this long and exhausting and strenuous day. Thus humanity, both black and white, male and female, Arab and non-Arab, Muslim and Kafir, will look at the Messenger on that day with the eye of awe and veneration and marvel and wonder. This is the praised station, by the way. This is Al-Maqam Al-Mahmood, which Allah referred to in the Quran when He said, Pray at night, O Prophet, because it could be that Allah will raise you to a very praiseworthy station. That is the station for Him on the Day of Judgment. This is way number six, when He intercedes for the believers on the Day of Judgment who are still carrying sins. What about the seventh way? Imam Ibn Taymiyyah, if you remember, he said, Or Allah may trial this person with difficulties in dunya, causing more of his sins to fall away. And that is why the companion Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, when he entered upon the Prophet wasallam, he was suffering a tremendous fever. As Bukhari and Muslim narrate, Ibn Mas'ud said to the Prophet wasallam, O Messenger of Allah, you are suffering a great deal. He said, yes, I am suffering a great deal. I suffer twice as much as when you, any one of you suffer. Ibn Mas'ud, he says, is that because Allah is going to reward you twice? He said to him, that is correct. He says, but likewise, I say to you the following, any Muslim, look, he's teaching even when he is ill, Allahu Akbar. Likewise, he says, any Muslim who suffers any degree of harm, whether as small as the pricking of a thorn or more, Allah Almighty will pardon him from some of his sins and will allow his sayyat to fall away from his body the same way that a tree sheds its leaves. Allahu Akbar. Therefore realize, dear brother, dear sister, that any pain you're experiencing at the bodily level, at the psychological level, internally, externally, a lack of ability to sleep, financially, with friends, socially, educationally, maritally, realize that Allah Almighty is causing your sins to fall away from you and pushing away the repercussions of those sins that we are yet to repent from. That is avenue number seven. What about avenue number eight? Ibn Taymiyyah, he said, or when Allah Almighty causes a person to suffer in the grave, 
due to its horrors, Allah Almighty pardons him from some of the sins there as well. That is because there is an interrogation in the grave. Six feet under there will be two angels who will visit us. Munkar and Nakir, their names are. And there will also be a squeezing of the grave. A person is lowered underground. The earth will hug you. It will compress you. And that is why Ahmed narrates in his Musnad on the authority of our mother Aisha. That the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, he said the grave, it has a compression on the body. And therefore, if anybody was going to be saved from it, he said, my companion Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad would have been saved, i.e. but even he wasn't spared. All of this will bring about with it the expiation of sins if a person is still carrying sins at that moment in time. What about the ninth way? Imam ibn Taymiyyah, he said, or oh Allah Almighty, may he forgive his sins on the day of judgment due to its horrors. What about avenue number 10? The last of the 10, he said, the most merciful may show mercy towards him. The companion Abdullah ibn Mas'ud would say, as Ibn al-Mubarak mentions in his book, Az-Zuhd, he said, Allah Almighty is going to forgive people on the day of judgment in a way that no human heart could ever imagine. Why would Ibn Mas'ud say this? Because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had said, as Bukhari al-Muslim narrate on the authority of Abi Hurairah, in one of the most hopeful ahadith that you will ever come across. He says, Allah Almighty has divided His mercy into 100 parts. And from those parts, He has only brought down one part to this world, which is shared between the human beings, and the spirits, the jinn, and the animal world, and the world of the creatures. He says they show affection and mercy to one another through that one part of Allah's mercy is nothing but a manifestation of a fraction of one part of Allah's 100 parts of mercy. One part that includes the mercy of the mother over her child, and the mercy that exists between husband and wife, and the mercy of the father over his children, and the mercy, the mercy that you see in the animal kingdom, the mercy that we don't see in the world of the jinn, the mercy of the prophets and messengers, the mercy of Prophet Muhammad over his ummah, all of this is but a fraction of one part of 100 parts of Allah's mercy. What about the remaining 99? What about them? He وسلم, concludes the hadith and he says, he has saved the other 99 parts of his mercy in order to display his mercy on the believers on the day of judgment. Thus Ibn Taymiyyah rahmatullahi alayhi would say, Aw yarhamuhu arhamur rahim. The tenth way he says, or Allah the most merciful, may show mercy towards him. And therefore it is understandable how insane it would be for a person to still meet Allah Almighty on the day of judgment, heading to the fire after being given all of these opportunities. And thus Ibn Taymiyyah, he concludes this study with one sentence and he said, he says, therefore, any person who misses out on every one of these 10 ways of forgiveness of sins, then let him blame nobody but himself.